morning again. And um, I want to thank God for the privilege. It's always, it's always an awesome and um, exciting privilege having the opportunity to um, come and share out of God's word. Privilege because the words aren't mine. And privilege because the words are, the words are not working. No, you're not getting anything. Uh, try again. There we go. Okay, thank you. Because the words are God's words. And um, that's really exciting just to think about it. Just like having the privilege to speak for someone very, very important. Someone very, um, uh, who has a great deal to say about our lives and whose words are so important um, for what we do. So today we're continuing in our series um, in John, uh, which we've titled Superman HD. And uh, the section we're looking at today is one um, which I found, again, truly exciting, just, just looking at it. How do we approach this um, today, today's section? How do we look at this at all? Um, an award-winning legal editor of a Chicago newspaper who also holds a master's degree in law from Yale, by the way, he decided to examine the claims of Jesus with the aim of simply denying them and consigning them to the bin, just to show how absurd it was to view Jesus as a king. And he really thought the idea wasn't worth his time to check out, It took him almost two years of his life to examine the claims of Jesus Christ. In light of all the evidence he found, he says it would take more faith to hold on to his atheism than it did to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lee Strobel, somebody, many of you few know that name, became a Christian in 1981 and is described in Washington Post as one of the evangelical community's uh, most popular apologists. His popular resources include the book and the film, The Case for Christ, and another one, The Case for the Real Jesus. I think there's a new one coming out soon, The Case for Grace, among others. In our passage today, I believe God would have us see that to try Jesus fairly, we must resist denying him. We must carefully examine him and faithfully embrace him as a true king that he is. Hence, um, our title for this section, or my title for this section, which is from John chapter 18, verses 28 to 38, Trying the True King. Um, let's take a moment to read the text of our passage and then we'll, we'll have a word of prayer. We read 
in John chapter 18, from verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him to you, over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? <laughs> your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want, to, um, we want to see what you show us here. We want to hear what you are saying to us. Um, who are, if you like, reading over the shoulders of those to whom this passage was originally written so many years ago. We want to see what you're saying. We want to see what you're shouting out loud. We want to see what you're reaffirming again. We want to see, Lord God, even how this applies to us. We want to see what the truth is that you speak out of this passage and what to do about it. Lord, guide us. Guide me. I want to speak faithfully. I want to speak um, truthfully. I want to affirm your word. I want to affirm your name. I want to declare what you've declared about Jesus here um, so that indeed the true king is exalted and glorified. Lord, lead us even through this time as we um, dwell in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I don't know how many of you have, have, have seen um, a series House of Cards, or Spin. Some of all these, but um, it's a political, political. Um, what, what do we call it now? Political drama, where 
you see a president or someone in control, someone who's governing and at the helm of affairs, seeing things go out of control. You know, there's a bad situation that's going to be politically damaging. This is going to just ruin, it's going to be the end of my political career. And in most scenes, he's in a room with his advisors and they're strategizing. Okay, so what do we do about, what do we do about this guy? What do we do about the Home Secretary? What do we do about the opposition? What do we say? How do you respond to these questions? What if they put this before you? What should we do? Well, at the start of our passage here, um, scenes like this have already been had, and Brent did so well of talking about this last week. Well, this one is not quite working so far. All the plans to, 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 to manage the spin and put this Jesus guy who is the main, considered the main threat, a political threat, correctly political threat to the Jewish ruling council, all those plans just seem to be falling to pot, crumbling before the eyes of the Jewish Sanhedrin. Well, I believe God wants us to see the things John notes here. And that's why God had him include them here. Let's begin considering our text then and see what's really going on. We read the text together and um, let's see what's going on. Beginning with verse 28. I found this interesting to think... (laughs) The one who created these men, created the ground they they walk on, created everything being led by them to be tried. Amazing. But in verse 28, we read that they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. How are we going to approach this? Um, I've said here that we want to see that to try Jesus fairly, we must resist denying him and carefully examine him and faithfully embrace him as a true king that he is. Here... These guys are making an effort to deny Jesus. But we want to see here now, looking at this first point, that in a fair trial we must resist denying Jesus, lest we find ourselves to be false or lying against him. So in all their strategizing, what they've decided to do is take Jesus. They've tried him twice already. One before the past, one of the past or most respected of the high priests, um, Annas. And then secondly, they've taken him to Caiaphas, who is actually the appointed and ruling high priest in Israel. And John doesn't say much about what's happened at Caiaphas's um, court, if you like, but just moves straight on to uh, Pilate, the governor, the governor's headquarters, And look at what these guys do here. They led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas. And 
they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Interesting. Take Jesus to trial. Take him to a Roman ruler. Hand him over. And their primary concern, John highlights and points out for us, so I've, highlight, I've highlighted this in our text, they don't go into the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. You know, ritually speaking, in fact, these guys could get ceremonially unclean to take part in the Jewish festival rites. They had such certain um, rites of ceremonial cleanliness, standards that they had to adhere to. Going into the quarters of a Roman governor could compromise that. So they could have done that. They could have um, um, gotten defiled ceremonially. But we aren't explicit. We, what, what they could have been defiled by, we aren't told explicitly here. But um, what we aren't told here again is that, and Brent mentioned this last week, is what's going on in the hearts of these men who are leading Jesus to a Roman governor, not a Jew this time, to a Roman governor to be tried. Let's um, look briefly at what's going on in the hearts of these men who do not want to be defiled physically. All right? Let's see. So, um, in John chapter 11, going f- looking at verses 47 to 50 and 53, I've got that all up on screen, you don't have to turn there. What's happening is this. Caiaphas and the crew had had a gathering where they gathered together the council, verse 47, and determined, what are we to do? This was following Jerusalem and all of Israel's response to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. There was a huge following, huge swell in Jesus' following. And they were concerned. What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. Now think about this carefully. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and do what? They'll take away both our place and our nation. But one of them Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And read on in verse 53 of the same chapter of John, uh, of, of John 11, that from that day they made plans to put him to death. This is what's going on in the hearts of men who've determined that they will not go into the governor's headquarters so they don't get defiled. I'm scratching my head for a minute thinking, hold on. I wouldn't be able to take time to, to read the whole passage because it's a long one. And I have to refer to Matthew. I know we're not talking about Matthew here. But Matthew gives an account where Jesus explains what it is that defiles men. 
These guys were concerned about being outwardly unclean, ritually and ceremonially unprepared to take part in Passover rites. Yet, in their hearts, they're plotting murder. They're plotting a setup. They've tried Jesus twice already and can't find even one person to stand up and say, hmm, you, yeah, you did such and such wrong, you did this wrong or that wrong. It was more a case of envy for the fact that he bore witness to the truth about their vain and hypocritical worship of God. Just, just, a, just a little bit from that passage I refer to. Jesus explains to his disciples in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, that it is what comes out of the mouth and proceeds from the heart. This is what defiles a person. This is what defiles a person. The guys were concerned about externals, but God is looking at the heart. And here are guys who were taking the same God in the flesh to trial, while at the same time being concerned about presenting worship to God or taking part in worshiping God. Well, what do you know? It is what comes out of the heart that defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil, th- evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Just to conclude this first point, or the point that John is highlighting in the passage, they deny the God who they claim to worship even as they take Jesus to Pilate in judgment. Now, I thought, while it is easy for us to um, see this of these men, let's be careful not to stand in a place of judgment over them. Um, Because this is a condition that we can easily identify with. Not necessarily literally, not, we're not trying to take Jesus to be crucified or take anyone to be executed. But spiritually, this is all of us. This indeed is all of us. I ask the question to us now, do we, any one of us here, all of us here, lead anyone in judgment or lead Jesus in judgment before anyone? Do we conduct ourselves in a way that leaves those who watch us wondering hmm, about the Jesus we serve? Do we leave anyone wondering or being able to say, I don't see how you can claim to be a Christian, you know? Or with other such words. Because I can, I can say that um, even 
those who are close enough to see the intentions and the thoughts of our hearts played out. They're in a place to tell us, hey, Christian, you, please. So what kind of things could, I mean, how could this really apply to us? Is our busyness and attending the matters of God, even church attendance, is it one of those things that, you know, we, is, it, is that the veneer we put on our lives while we live out lives that have our own purposes and our own selfish intentions as the primary focus? Because for these guys, it was their place. High priests. Come on. That was the arrangement. Politically, they were allowed to, to, to serve in that place and have, um, have the supervision over the affairs of God's people. And in, in, in that position, they could exercise controls over great amounts of, the, of treasure over great amounts of, over, over the lives of people, they were allowed to freely practice their, their religion. This was their concern. They wanted to hold those places of prominence still. Well, what is our concern primarily? We can appear to submit our lives to God, but really live like, out of my way, Jesus. I've got places to go, things to do, all by myself. Our lives can easily be like that. The interesting thing is, Pilate can almost see through all of this clearly. Because he asked them a question. He goes outside to these guys and asks them, What accusation do you bring against this man? Pilate asks, and in verse 30 of our text, they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. It's almost like saying, Pilate, duh. I mean, you're supposed to play along with us on this one. Um, they're found to be or Pilate finds them to be aggressive. And they get pushback from Pilate in his response to them in verse 31. Um, look with me in verse 31, please, if you will. I'm having a bit of a difficulty here with my tech. So I'm just going to enjoin you, please, to, to follow along with me in, in your Bibles. Pilate said to them, almost, I mean, I'm paraphrasing now, if that's how you want to play, well, take him yourselves. Judge him by your own law. In verse 31. And they finally bear their real intentions and pass Jesus over to, to Pilate like a hot potato. When they say, well, it's, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So finally it comes out. 
That's been the plan all along. They really want this guy taken care of. Well, again, how do we deal with Jesus when we think he's in our way? When we're dealing with life's challenges and life's difficulties, when life happens and we have situations where we seek godly counsel, does a godly counsel prevail? Or do we at those times go, well, (laughs) Jesus, you wait. Let me deal with this. I've got to show this that, 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 what I'm really made of. Or Jesus, you hold on a moment. I've got this ambition to pursue. Is it just easy to deny Jesus and blank him out like he's not there? Not hitting out or saying, oh well, having any aspirations or things like that are, are, are in and of themselves wrong. No. But does Jesus take second place? Or does Jesus become of lesser priority? And so we, in the way we live our lives, basically deny Jesus and have him just as an accessory that we can put on when it's convenient. So, Career ambitions, practically refusing godly or biblical counsel when, when it comes to dealing with life's issues. Um, how do you settle interpersonal differences? Your way or God's way? There's a real temptation to, re- to resort to godly counsel, to resolve the truth about our spiritual nature which Jesus has already pointed out. And that is that in a, naturally, we, we just have this tendency towards evil. God's pointed it out right from the beginning. In Genesis, remember? God looked and saw. It, it, it pained him. It, regret, it, it, it repented him of man who he created, for he saw that his tendency was just continually toward evil. God knows this already. Well, Again, it just reminds me of this thing. <laughs> when, when our nature plays out, um, this, this kind of just illustrates that. I mean, does our, na- does our nature just kick in when we're having to deal with, we're having to deal with life and difficult situations? I don't know who, who's seen Madagascar here. Remember those zoo animals, they venture into the wild and Marty the zebra catches Alex about to take a swipe at his, you know, chunky bits. <laughs> and it's just so with us. I mean, a naturally savage lion just finds himself caught and then tries to hide the fact that, ooh, he's about to eat his friend here. And when he's caught, he counts 38, 39. Oh, you're black. You've got more black stripes than white. But do we try to conceal our sinful nature with excuses, 
rather than acknowledge the truth that Christ points out about our nature. Well, rather than deny the Lord, rather than deny Christ, when we are tested, when we are tried, um, let's just acknowledge something. Our sinful nature is something he knows about. And if we're put to the test about making a choice between Christ and ourselves, recognize something that, that's going on here as well in the text. Verse 32 of John chapter 18. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus, Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Rather than run away from our nature, let's agree with God where we really are. That way we can receive the grace that God gives. And he gives us grace in Christ. Look what's happening. It's actually all according to God's plan. These guys, been, Jesus being tried, Jesus being presented by people who are, in actual fact, not trying to worship God, but trying to carry out their own plan. But God is determined to see his plan and his purpose in having Jesus crucified right through to provide grace for the same ones. Jesus was still going to die anyway. However they schemed things, Jesus would go to the cross for their sakes. Secondly, um, in trying this true king, if we're going to try Jesus fairly, we must carefully examine him. Firstly, I said we, must, we must resist denying him. And secondly, we must carefully examine Jesus. Because that's how we get to know him. That's how we get to know him. And that's how we get to enjoy him. Um... Thinking about this point, as we look at verse, uh, the, the, the verses, 30, verses 33 to 38, I just wonder, there, there may have been, could there have been some element of collusion here in this trial? We'll, we'll unpack this on Thursday, but just think about it. Brent told us last, was it last week? Or Mark told us two weeks ago. The number of soldiers, how many? At least, how many? 600 at least? Just to go and arrest one man? Would, would Pilate, who was the governor, have known anything about, you know, at least sign off on, sign off on the requisition? 600 guys go to arrest this rebel. However it may have been presented to him. Well, let's I digress. We must carefully examine Jesus if we're going to try him fairly. I mentioned how Lee Strobel took nearly two years of his life examining the claims of Jesus with the aim of dismissing them as rubbish. You know, Pilate makes an interesting subject of Jesus in, in, in this section from verses um, 32 to 38. 
He asked Jesus four questions. Please look with me in your Bibles. Verse 33, he asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 35, am I a Jew? Verse 35 again, what have you done? And the last question we'll, we'll deal with as we, as, we, as we round up. But he says, so you're a king, the fourth question. And the first question, I'm thinking, Pilate, what, what, what's going on here? It's important when you come to encounter anyone or meet someone. He's probably heard about Jesus from um, a centurion, for example, whose servant got healed. Pilate would ordinarily be based at Capernaum, where this guy was, um, where this centurion was said to be from in, the, in an account in John. But he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Establishing his identity is important. You get to know someone, you take time to know them. Or you get to meet someone in the first place, you, get, you, you take time to know them. Do you know the person you're hanging out with? Pilate? Do you know who you're hanging out with, Pilate? I mean, Jesus. And asking us here as well. Do you know who you're hanging out with? As in Jesus. Do you know him well? Again, we easily invest time, money, going to the movies and restaurants with people we want to know so we can determine where next to take our relationship. What about Jesus? What about Jesus? And in verse 35 of our text, we see Jesus, um, Pilate asking, um, Pilate asking Jesus, let me turn there as well. In response to Jesus' answer and feedback to him, because this is a private conversation between Pilate and Jesus now, because remember, the Jews have decided to wait outside Pilate's headquarters, and Jesus goes in with him, with Pilate. And this conversation, that all these questions that, are, that, are, that Pilate's putting forth to Jesus are between, him, between just the both of them. But somehow we're privy to this, and God has um, given that we can get to see what actually transpired there. And Jesus retorts to the first question, do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Causing Pilate to ask, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? What have you done? Again, to an extent, Pilate is acknowledging his ignorance of the person who is in front of him, the person who he's having to try, the person who he's having to pass a judgment on. 
And the judgment that he makes could determine whether he lives or dies. There is a point at which Jesus plainly reveals his identity in a mind-blowing fashion. And you know what so hurts about this? What hurts is when you read in um, verse 36, please look there with me. And um, I'll, 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 ma- I'll make this point in a moment. Verse 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Looking at statements like this, I was compelled to just stop and think, okay, what, Jesus, what are you talking about? I just kind of put myself in Pilate's situation as if I were there having the opportunity to get this being said to me. What are you talking about, Jesus? I don't know what you mean. And that compelled me to look at Okay, when, when, when John says, my kingdom is not of this world, what did he mean? My kingdom is not according to this order of things. So we say, for example, when we think about the United Kingdom, who's at the top of it? The, the Queen, Elizabeth II, right? When we think about Russia? Ah, everybody's with me. okay. But Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not like this one's. It's not like these kingdoms you're talking about. And then, if that was it, if it was simply a matter of his kingdom not being of this world, then, so what's, what's there to talk about? I mean, what's, what's the beef then? Why are those guys outside <laughs> making accusations against you? If my kingdom were of this world, but Jesus didn't just say my kingdom is not of this world. He said more. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. When he said his servants would have been fighting, my mind flashed back to Peter drawing out a sword and cut off Marcus' ear. But is that who Jesus is talking about? I don't think so. He's not talking a physical kingdom here. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, Pilate, this is where you stand up and go outside and you go, wow, to the crowd who's standing outside and say, guys, just go home. Nothing to see here. Leave this man alone. You've got no business with him. He's got no business with you. How do I come to that conclusion? Several other instances. I'll just cite one. Jesus is challenged about paying a temple, about paying a tax. And the Pharisees to test him. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And what does Jesus do? Takes a coin and says, right, whose image is on that coin? 
And what's their answer? Caesar's image. All right. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. But give to God what is God's. So Jesus ain't talking about any physical kingdom here. But then, the temptation is there to say, well, Jesus, so why did you bother coming then? Why don't you just mind your own kingdom and mind your own business? Like the world would say, I don't need no maniacal, despot, tyrant, who's ready to throw out bolts of lightning. Nakipi knows that, I'm familiar with it. (laughs) I don't need anybody like that to be in my life. I'm the ruler of my own destiny. You know, I'm the lord of my own manner and those kinds of selfish things that humanly we want. But look, sadly, much as Christ makes this revelation or disclosure to Pilate, things which the Pharisees and those outside standing to accuse him and calling for his death are saying, things which they wanted Jesus to say explicitly to them, they don't get to hear, but Pilate gets to hear. One would, sadly, Pilate didn't just go out and say to them, wow, you guys need to hear this. Or go home. Leave this man alone. He's not in your league at all. He didn't do that, sadly. But then, I say that as if I could have changed things if I were there. I couldn't. Because this is the determined purpose, the determined plan of God. Now, we have the privilege, we have the opportunity to get to know this Jesus If we're going to try Jesus at all, and I speak to any here who may be undecided, church might just be a thing you do on Sunday. You haven't really made a decision about who Jesus is. Haven't really determined that, well, he is who he claims to be. He is Lord. He is Christ. He is God in the flesh. He's Savior. He lives forever. He's a high priest who's able to make intercession for me. He died for my sin. You haven't determined that yet. It's a Sunday thing at the moment. I'll see how I feel in a few months' time or a few years' time. Maybe when I get older. His life is in your hands. Or rather, your life is in his hands. (laughs) It's not the other way around. Your life is in his hands. You just got it now, Paul. (laughs) Your life is in his hands. Have you examined him? Have you taken time to check him out? Pilate didn't exclaim like Belteshazzar. Ah, the God of Daniel. 
He is the God who is God alone and God among, there's, there's no other God like him who's able to deliver his servants from out of the pit, the lion's pit. Pilate didn't make that exclamation, sadly. Scripture says that if they had known who it was that they were setting up to be crucified, they would not have even thought or considered to put this Christ to death. How much do you know Jesus? Again, Pilate has a privilege and so do we while we have breath in us. Thank God for um, plenty of opportunity that we have to do this. There is another kingdom. We'll, we'll unpack this more on Thursday. But when we think about the, the order of things that, that Jesus is referring to, Daniel talks about this. God talks about this rather in Daniel, where he says that there will be um, a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. I mean, there's war going on in Syria now, and you don't know who owns what and who's in control, who's, whether it's the rebels, whether it's ISIS, whether it's the, over a hundred factions fighting. People have left their homes, their lands, and places in ruins. This is not the kingdom Jesus is talking about. Do we know this Christ? Will you take time to examine him? even as you walk with him. Um, examine these claims. I'll lay this down, this down very simply. How much do you know Jesus and, what, uh, Jesus and what he's all about? Is he or isn't he a bus pass to heaven? Is he the cause of most wars and deaths in the world? There are counterclaims out there. Do you know him? Would you find out something about him that would shock you into, oh, I'm not Christian anymore. I'm not doing that church thing. Pilate gets the privilege to know him. <laughs> or is he more than Christians crank him up to be? We've heard those claims out there. People say he's not what he's all cranked up to be. No, it's not true. But take time to get to know this Lord. If you're undecided and, and dithering about whether Jesus Christ is Lord, really take time to examine him. There's so much out there that's available to help us do that by way of application. You know, gosh, Ecclesia has about how many years? Ten years of back catalogue of of. of podcasts and, and uh, that you can listen to to get to know about Jesus Christ. Um, I don't know if Carbon Chapel East Dolly Chapel podcast yet. I think they do. They do. You know? There's, there's so many resources out there that we can spend time, take time to get to know Jesus. Honestly, we can't get to know Jesus from Tawi or EastEnders we cannot get to know Jesus, the true king, from Father Ted or the vicar of Dibley. I hear that's coming back. <laughs> we can't get to know Jesus from there. 
oftentimes it's, it's adverse sound bites. Invest time, invest money, resources. Thank God for the guys doing, um, what's the course you're doing? UMP with London City Mission, our partners here. Look, invest time in getting to know Jesus Christ. Um, gosh, so many resources. I can't, I can't just spend time reeling them off. But Lee Strobel talked about, from all his investigations and his inquiries, he ended up writing the book, is it The Case for Christ? I've mentioned that earlier on. Take time and get to know Jesus, who you hang out with. If he's on trial in your heart. If, if, the, if, he's, if, he's, if he's dropped in the rankings in your heart. If right now you're considering just, man, I've been doing this Christian thing for long and it's not getting me anywhere. Take time to get to know this Savior. The fourth question Pilate asked was, oh, so you're a king. Thankfully, but not really, Pilate gets to a point of seeing that indeed, <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit funny. It's a bit, um, I don't know what to call it, of a counter... Is it anticlimax or count, what, anticlimax, right? To be of an anticlimax, getting to this point where Pilate says, "So you're a king?" Yes, he is a king. He gets at least logically what Jesus, Jesus is talking about—that he has a kingdom, that he has servants, and that his kingdom is not according to the order of things here. But. Rather than in acknowledging Jesus Christ, are embracing him for who he is. Which is our third point and final point. Um, In order to try Jesus fairly, we must embrace him as the true king that he is. He is a king. He is a king. There's so much we can say about him being a king. We must willingly embrace him. And in doing so, we must come to Jesus. It's like Pilate accepts that Jesus is truly in a king in the sense Jesus means, but sadly, he doesn't. Sadly, he doesn't do that. Instead, Pilate makes it an object or a matter of jest and taunting goes back out and taunts the Jews as you will see in the rest of John there's several mentions of Jesus being the king of the Jews but they're all in the in the they're all they're all references to Jesus in the manner of sarcasm in the manner of right look who I've got here king of the Jews and it's like it's up in the air And the jury is out as to whether he is indeed king of the Jews. When indeed he is not just king of the Jews, he is king of kings. 
and Lord of Lords. Um, essentially, what we need to do is see Jesus for who he is. The true king. He's born to bear witness to the truth. And indeed, he gives evidence to the truth about our nature. Even as he points out to the ruling council, the Jewish, the religious leaders in Israel, guys, you guys are just missing it. You guys are really just putting in place of worship for God, traditions of men. You guys are worshiping with a heart that's far away from God. You're here present, but far away. We're invited to come away from that place. We're invited to come to the one who is a true king. We're invited for the one, to come to the one who is born to give evidence to the truth about God, about our nature, about the truth that we all have sinned and are naturally sinful, about the truth that God is almighty, ruler, and potentate, about the truth that our lives are really not outside of God's control, about the truth that if we want to honestly acknowledge it, we can look back over our lives and see how lost we, lost we are in sin. But for the grace of God, we would be just utterly lost. But now we have hope. And the amazing truth that God sees our lost condition and the truth that God indeed has in Jesus Christ completed the perfect worship that we cannot bring. We can't bring perfect worship to him in and of ourselves. It's futile. But look who makes and strives even on the trial to show how noble and true he is. The King of Kings, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's very simple what to do about this. Um, let's take the veneers off. Take off any window dressing that we'd like to put on. <laughs> there are some places where, where I've been where you can just, you know, want to put on a holy air and... Um, I don't want to be silly now, <laughs> but I want to put on an, a holy air and, a, and an appearance of being holy. Literally. Like, yeah, there goes that holy brother. Man, look at him. He's been praying and fasting all day. Man, that guy knows the word. Take those veneers off. We're dealing with a God who sees us just as we are. We're dealing with the Lord who knows and sees us just as we are. If not, we wouldn't have the privilege of seeing this kind of trial go on. And we can easily identify with that. Let's take those veneers off and come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, the one who is our true king. So, as... Um, I invite the team to come back up. We see in this section of Scripture, 
that in order for us to try Jesus fairly, if we're in a place where um, Jesus is on trial, even in our hearts, we must resist denying him. We must carefully examine him. And we must truthfully embrace him as a true king that he is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for such an account as this. Where, by all appearances, Jesus is on trial. Accused by those who he came to save. And tried by those who are in his power and in his authority and rejected by those who he came to save. Lord, help us just to see where we are with you. Help us, Lord, to see when we put Jesus on trial in our hearts or even before men. Help us, Lord, to see indeed our need for salvation and how this one who is a king born to bear witness to the truth comes to save us is determined to save us and indeed saves us in giving himself for our sakes Lord we just thank you and pray that your word finds good ground in our hearts even as we consider these things and how we will work them out thank you Lord we pray in Jesus name Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.